Hey, what's up? This is Christopher Stolle of Realm of the Mist Entertainment. The podcast you are listening to is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com. That's s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and information on those shows, as well as information and an ability to contact publicist Steve Joyner for more information. Just go to the website and check out the family, ladies and gentlemen. Until then, enjoy the show. Hey Dudley, Scotty Morris of Big Bad Voodoo Daddy is today's guest in the Sherpa screening room. How well can you cut a rug? Just like a pro. Really? Sure. I installed carpets for years. Um, never mind. Attention Rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. As a reminder, the restrooms are located near the yellow snow.
Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa screening room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hey Rebels, and welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room. It's me, you know, Jim the Podcast Sherpa, that's right. You know how I love music episodes, and today is a music episode, as you can tell, being that our guest is Scotty Morris from Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. You know, I was wondering for the longest time, what would I do for a music episode if it was someone whose music I really admired over the years? And I guess I found out when I did this interview, and I didn't fanboy out too much, so I was pretty glad about that. And Scotty was such a pleasure to talk to. You guys are in for a real treat with this episode. As you heard in the beginning of the song, we heard You and Me and The Bottle Makes Three Tonight maybe, from their first album, Americana Deluxe. And throughout the interview, you will be hearing a lot of songs from the band as we discuss them. Uh, there's a few that I couldn't play because of copyright issues. But other than that, the band's management was very gracious in allowing me to play some music for the interview. And I think it really enhances our really fun interview that I had with Scotty. Got to give you a little bit of a background about the interview because there's probably going to be a reference that you don't get before I start talking with my guests and we start recording. We usually just strike up a conversation and talk about this and that. And Scotty and I ended up talking about the Star Wars holiday special. And Scotty told me that he makes it his mission to find a copy of the Star Wars holiday special and watch it with his son-in-law. As he's explained it, he said, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, When we were talking about the Star Wars holiday special, I was mentioning to him that there's a Star Wars Christmas album. And I think that I had the same conversation with Bruce Valanche as well. And he had never heard of it. And I told him that there's a song on it called, What Do You Get a Wookiee for Christmas When He Already Has a Comb? (laughs) And I know the band has done two Christmas albums already. Maybe if they do another one, maybe they can do it like a bonus track and say, okay, Sherpa, this one's for you. (laughs) We'll just keep our fingers crossed for that. But he was a really enjoyable guest and had a lot to say. And I really admire the passion that he has for the music that he has created. And just for music in general, you you could really see him light up when he was talking about music and about his career as a musician. He's very passionate about what he does. And he was a lot of fun. So why don't we head on down to the big bad voodoo room for my conversation with Mr. Scotty Morris. Hey there, Rebels. We are here in... The Big Bad Voodoo Daddy room of the Sherpa Chalet. And how do you know it's the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy room? Because of the pinstripe wallpaper, of course. And we've had this room especially built because we've got a very special guest today. And his name is Scotty Morris. He is naturally the lead singer of Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. How you doing, Scotty? I'm well. Yourself? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on the show. I want to start this interview with an embarrassing story about me, not about you. Don't worry. We've, we've cleared the internet of that, so... So about 1998, a friend of mine and I were sitting in a diner and we were flipping through a jukebox and I saw this song and uh, Americana Deluxe was the album that was out. And I see this group called Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. And I said, oh, what is this, a rap group? (laughs) So I I put it in and, and we both got quiet and I said, 
wait a minute. <laughs> this is not a rap group. These guys are cool. So I said to my friend, you know where I'm going tomorrow? He said, he said, you know what? I think I'll go with you. So we went to the record store, got that CD, and it's just amazing. And you guys have just been putting out incredible stuff. Thank you. That's great. I'm glad it came that way. <laughs> Dude, jukebox. You might have been that's a strange rap man. group, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll be you able know, to when we when we first started. That, I mean, that was that was the that was the whole obstacle in the beginning because when we started, it was 1993. I mean, if you think about that era in music, you know, Whitney Houston was the top of the chart with Nirvana, and like Nirvana had just destroyed heavy metal or hard rock, and you know, it just the whole grunge thing was happening. And so people assumed either a we were a rap group or we were a metal group or a grunge band of some sort. And no one had any idea. And then, so, I mean, I would just book the band in any place we could. I, I, if they wanted to think we were a rap band, I didn't care. I just wanted to get in front of people. And then after they heard what we were about, about that's when uh, that's sort of when the, the magic happened. And you said you were originally in, in punk bands and you were in False Confession? I was, yeah. That, that, was my first, uh, that was my first band that I made an official record on an official record label. Um, yeah, I played I played jazz as a kid, and I played classical as a kid, and I played rock, and was really just I was really into just I was just into playing music. Like that was the thing that you know I, I played a lot of sports, and I was really into sports when I was a kid because I I have a lot of energy and I like to stay busy, and my parents kept me fueled. And uh, but music was the thing I always if when I did music, it seemed like only positive things happened afterwards. And so as a kid, you're always looking for you know a sign. What am I doing? Why am I here? And that was really, it seemed like that's the sign for me. And your beginning of your love affair with music was when you were a little kid and you saw Louis Armstrong on TV? I don't remember. I mean, I do remember seeing him on TV. But for me, it was, uh, my mom and dad had a really limited record collection. Really limited. Like there was really maybe four or five records. I think there was a Prez Prado record in there, like a Greatest Hits Prez Prado record. There was a Al Hurt, the Tijuana Brass, whipped, uh, whipped Cream and Other Delights. There was like a Helen Reddy record, just anything that somebody that would randomly sort of give somebody, you know, that doesn't listen to music, really, because my parents, I don't really remember listening to a lot of music with my parents in the house. But there was a Louis Armstrong record in, in the collection. It was a greatest hits. And my brother came home with a trumpet because my brother's three years older than I. He came home with a trumpet and what he was doing with that trumpet and me seeing that guy on the cover holding one of these things, because, you know, I was probably like four or five years old. I was like, I, there's no way there's a whole record of this this kind of noise going on, what my brother was doing. So I put that record on and, and I mean, that was the first time like music sang to me. Like I was like, like I, it just, it made me feel something immediately. And it was just all of the, really, it was just, the, just his greatest hits. It was all the pop stuff. It wasn't until I got a little bit older and I started digging into records that I started finding the Hot 7 and all that stuff and realized that Louis Armstrong was an extraterrestrial. And you do actually pay tribute to Louis Armstrong in your last album, Louis, Louis, Louis with, uh, yeah, he's on everything though. Louis, Louis, he's, he's snuck. I've snuck Louis in on every single thing we've ever done ever. So, I mean, just as poorly as I could in the early days because of lack of, you know, execution. But now, I mean, I do it as much as I possibly can. Drink 
my smoke, you see I like my collars pressed. I wear big old hats and fancy ties and hang late with my friends. I can take it on the chain with a Cheshire cream. I'm a sinner VIP. You know I like mixed drinks. I like what I think. I think you know just what I mean. You know that heroes and legends are one and the same. It's how you play the game. You see, I'm no fool from the old school. It's the fire from the flame. Wah, bah, 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 Pick your pockets clean I'm a snake guy rolling Big league bone And I clean up on the green I got the jack, the ace, the king and queen You know I like my women mean Cause I'm a big time operator Never ever hesitating Sin of VIP Cause I'm a big time operator Never ever hesitating Sin of VIP Bands and then yep. was a switch to like more in swing and jazz. I, I understand that was because of an album by the Blasters, by actually one of the members of the Blasters that you heard. You know that's good research, man. Because I, I don't know how many times I've said that, but out in this in this planet, but but yeah, that is that's absolutely right. I mean, Phil Alvin is the singer for the Blasters. It was Dave and Phil Alvin were the brothers, and when I was growing up, uh, X, the band, the punk rock band X, Los Lobos, and the Blasters 
those three bands really, I mean, there was lots of bands that I really loved, but those three bands were bands that I could accessibly go see, even though I was 13, 12, 11, 13, 14, whatever the age group was, I would go see those bands and those bands would light me up. I just, it, there was nothing like it. And I was always into jazz. I was always into swing music because I used to, I was one of the kids that, that was the first kind of wave of colored 70s television. And I was obsessed with it. I loved television and I mostly loved cartoons and Tom and Jerry and Betty Boop and all that stuff. So I was being subjected with Scott Bradley's swing music on all of the Tom and Jerry stuff in the Warner Brothers stuff. And then there was Betty Boop was Cab Calloway, Duke Ellington. There was so many great, like, and I didn't even know what that was. I just thought that was Betty Boop music, you know, because you're just a kid. You don't know. There's no, there was no resources. And so I, that music was always running in my head, always. Even though I was playing in all kinds of different kinds of bands, that was the music that was rolling. And then when I started to get of age where I was really writing my own music in all different genres and whatnot, I discovered the Phil, uh, the Phil Alvin record and went, okay, it's okay. Like one of my favorite bands on planet Earth and this guy is exposing the exact music that is in my head. Like it was the, it was the exact era. It was the exact kind of thing. And it was just one of the hippest records I'd ever heard. And it, and it still to this day is one of my, my favorite records of all time. It's called Unsung Stories. I got to check that out. I was looking to see which album it was. And I couldn't see in my research, but now I'm glad. It's, it's, it's a hard record to find, but I think, I think it recently, I think it came out on Slash. And I think, to be honest with you, I think it has been re-released. Yeah, but I know cool. what you mean with the old cartoons because yeah, when I grew up, especially Bugs Bunny was like there was always that swing music in the background, and it and it suited right. the animation too. So it just kind of like you said, it got, yeah. got stuck in your head, and you know you, you can't forget it. It's just made it so memorable as well. Right. Yeah, I agree. So when when you started up the band, your your first gig was at a house party of a bouncer of a club yeah, that, that you wanted uh, to play at. Well, you know, uh, we had been the Big Bad Buddha Daddy had been at had been a, a three-piece starting in 1991, me and Kurt, the drummer. I had wanted it to be a certain thing. I wanted it to, I wanted to find horns and I wanted to, but I had just got done with music school and I was, I was touring with national bands and I was just a side guy and I was doing studio work. I was doing jingles for carts for commercials and, and things like that. And I was living in Los Angeles and I just was feeling to myself at the ripe age of, you know, like 23, 24, 25, <laughs> that that's not really what I wanted to do. Like that wasn't what I did in the first place. And, and that's not what I like about music. So I basically pulled breaks on Los Angeles, finished up all my obligations, and then went back to my hometown of Ventura, California, Oxnard, California, to be more specific, and just decided I'm going to take a year off of music and just see what happens and just kind of get my head together. Because I had made enough money to open a surf shop with my brother. So we had a surf shop. So I had a job. And it was Kush. I was making money. We owned the business. So it was kind of a cool situation that year. But during that year, all I did was just, I just finished all the swing ideas in my head. And that was in 1990, 1991. And then I just formed a Big Bad Bitter Daddy with Kurt, with another bass player. And we started gigging. And so we had built a really good reputation for ourselves because we were all three pretty good players. And so when Big Bad Bitter Daddy got together, Andy, the doorman at this place called Charlie's, a real famous place in Ventura, he, he, we played his birthday party and it was a show in and we went right in and, uh, and played that party. And that was our first, and it's on a documentary somewhere. There's, there's footage of it. It's amazing. I couldn't believe it. That, yes, that, it, that footage, ex it, it exists. It really actually exists. 
Well, I actually saw the, a little bit of a clip from uh, there was a documentary called Big Bad Voodoo Daddy: The Early Years. Yeah, I, I think it is on that. Yeah, and yeah. That's right. And we talked with you and the other guys in the band. We're going to get to you in a, in a minute or so. Sure. But I know uh, once you guys started playing a little bit more clubs. And you were kind of more a local sensation when then Swingers came out and John Favreau, I guess, used to go to those clubs and he included you in the movie Swingers. Right. And yeah. that's where everything kind of blew up for you. We had been touring from, I'd say, we were just doing the coast. We were doing the north, the northwest coast. So we, we were playing a club called Went, called the Derby on Wednesdays, which is, which is featured in, in Swingers. And that was our regular gig. That was a Wednesday night. And that was our regular gig. We'd play from... Uh, I want to say 10 to one. That was the gig and great club. Uh, we built that thing into a really big presence and then swingers came and it became a phenomenon, but we would play Wednesday was our Monday. So we play Wednesday and then we would go up the coast Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then come home on Tuesday. So we would go all the way up to Seattle, Washington or Vancouver, and then we'd drive back. You know, we, we just pick places all the way along. And then the next week we'd do the other, go the other way. And then we would go out in California and we was, you know, it just anywhere we could reach within three, four days, that's what we were doing. So we were branching out. And I would say that by the time swingers before swingers had, had, had come out in 90, October of 96, we'd made our way all the way to New York in a van. We had sprout out that much. And I would say, just to put it in context, we were playing clubs the size of, 350 to maybe 500 at the very, very, very most. And we were selling everything out before swingers. So it was between 300 and 500 seaters and we were packing everything. And then when swingers came out it, overnight, it went completely off the rails. It was, it was thousand seaters, 2000 seaters sold out. I think we, we ran a sold out marathon for about, I want to say it was like 18 or 20 months. We went and just, and just, it was just nonstop. It was it was it was one heck of a ride. I got to be honest. I know you were just telling me earlier that you know you guys have really always been a, a working touring band. So yeah. What's what's it like in the life of a touring band? I mean, and you did your was it your three thousandth show before everything came to a halt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think to be honest with you, I think we were somewhere around three thousand and fifteen when when this whole thing stopped. But uh, yeah, three thousand shows. So I mean. I think, you know, if you equate it over the over 27 years, um, fairly or unfairly, I think it's like 110, 120 shows a year average. But I mean, we were in the early days, we were doing 280 shows a year. I mean, it was, you know, and we don't do doubles like, you know, we were doing double shows, two shows a night, three shows a night sometimes, you know, it just multiple, multiple days in a row. Yeah, it's 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 insane. Like in the early days, it was, you know, for the first, you know, 12 years, 13 years, it was the wildest party you could imagine every single night, you know, just, just madness. And then as you start to get older and you start to realize there's no way to maintain that if you want to continue to do this, then it started to get more manageable, more balanced. And now, now it's, it's very balanced. You know, we're all, we're all very aware of limitations when it comes to that. And so now it's all about balance and the performance and quality. That's Absolutely. Uh, I was wondering, could you just talk a little bit about each of the guys in the band? I'll start with I'll start with Kurt Sodegren. Kurt is the drummer for Big Bad Buddha Daddy and uh, original member, obviously. He's the first guy I asked him to do this. Kurt and I have been together for over thirty years, for sure, because we've been doing this from the very beginning, and and uh, it's a friendship more than anything else. But 
Kurt is is one of the most consistent humans I've ever met. Whether you know any way you spin it, and, and on the drums every night, he's infallible. Like he always plays. He's what keeps the band solid every single night. Like if you're if you've got a loose drummer, your band is going to be loose. But Kurt plays with such intense detail. It's pretty miraculous how how he keeps things together. And he's really he's really an unsung hero in this band, to be for sure. And then I would say to go to the rhythm section first. I would say then Dirk Shoemaker, who plays string bass and and sings backup and sings a few vocals as well. Um, Dirk is is really a just a giant teddy bear. He's one of the sweetest humans I've ever met in my entire life, and he's he's again just a very agreeable, very unflappable. Um, he just gets in there. He works really really hard. He's just a consistent Papa Bear man. He's really just a, a really really heart and soul guy of the band. And just always, always, always there to uh, do a good job, and he's always making sure that everybody's taken care of. He's just one heck of a sweet guy. Josh Levy is our pianist and arranger, and my partner in, in uh, writing the music. I, I'll, I'll write songs, and, and Josh will. I bounce them off Josh first and foremost, and, and then Josh is the arranger, and we go back and forth. And, and Josh is a—he's highly educated. Josh is a USC graduate with, um, you know, with arranging and jazz. Um, orchestration chops, and uh, just a, a very, very, very intelligent guy, and uh, just really the great balance between an educated musician and a soulful, amazing musician. He, he carries the line very, very well with that. And then that's the rhythm section. Then me, I'm I'm the biggest hack in the band. Um, and then there's Glenn, the kid Morhetka, who is a trumpet player. And Glenn is again is a completely educated college graduate, jazz studies, incredibly intelligent, incredibly consistent, and just he's a, he's a super solid human being to say the, the very least. And then Carl Hunter, who also is a college graduate, also educated, also probably the hardest working musician I've met in my entire life. He practices and works harder than anyone I have ever met. At anything, and I don't just mean anything. I mean anything. Nobody works harder than Carl. He works on that instrument like no one I've ever met. And and you hear him play every night, and that is the result. Because that guy, he is one of the most incredible musicians I've ever heard. And he never plays anything, anything remotely the same night after night. He never has. He never will. That guy is endless. And then there's Andy, and Andy is the baritone sax player. His name is Andy Rowley. He's also one of the original members of the band. Dirk, Kurt, and Andy and myself are the original uh, four guys. That's that's the very first how it started. Andy is he's the soul master. Andy's got more soul than than pretty much anybody I've ever met. He's he's just got a very he's a very cool guy. He's kind of my cool barometer when I'm kind of like towing the line on something. If I think it's corny or cheesy, if I just all I have to do is just say it to Andy and. Andy's face will just give me that. It'll it'll either go this way or that way, you know, <laughs> good or bad. But he lets me know, and he keeps things he keeps things in order that way. Um, just a natural player. He's just a natural. He's not educated with music at all. He just he can pick that thing up. He taught himself basically. I mean, I think he learned how to read a little bit when he was a kid. You know, when he took lessons. But I mean, that was never his forte. But yet, you throw a chart in front of Andy with some of Josh's most difficult charts and. You're not worrying about Andy getting that part right. He'll he'll do what it takes to get that part right, and he does it. And I've got Mitch. Mitch Cooper is our lead trumpet player now. He's been with us for a few years. Young kid, probably just beyond talent. Monster player. He's got monster chops. 
he's endless every night. Never, never can fatigue that guy, no matter how hard I try. Um, Alex Henderson's been with us for about 18 years, I believe it is now. Alex, just another one of those guys, man. He's just, he's an educated player. He's a monster. And he just, he plays consistently every night. Fun guy. Probably one of the funniest guys, you know. That's the other thing about those guys in the band is that some of the funniest guys, sense of humor-wise, that I've ever been around. So, And then, to be honest with you, Brian Stanley is our road manager, our front of house, and basically does everything. Everything behind the scenes, Brian Stanley does. And if the Beatles say that George Martin was their creative, this, that, and the other, well, Brian... We're a live band, and Brian Stanley keeps everything completely in order. And that guy, there is no one better on planet Earth. I dare you to find someone better than that guy. Well, he's, I would actually have to agree with you because he's definitely the one who uh, helped make this interview possible. So thank you, Brian. Yeah, he, he's a monster, and I it would be I would I would be remiss to not mention his name because he is as much a member of Big Bad Good Daddy as any guy in the band by far. Do, do you all have very different musical tastes? Yeah, nobody has similar tastes at all. Everybody has all kinds of, everybody has different tastes, you know, from, yeah, everybody has really, really, really different tastes in music. And that's great because you all just love to play. And I think that just shows when you're on stage, you guys don't just stand there and play. You guys are all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a commitment for sure. You know, one of the unique things that I've always liked about the band is you're really not that easily pigeonholed as, as people think because they say, oh, they're a swing band. Well, no, right. no. <laughs> when the Americana Deluxe CD came out, that was a good swing album. But you guys weren't afraid to do more. You took on jazz and ragtime and Dixieland and Latin music and Cajun music and even like Jump Blues later with the Louie 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 yeah. album. I find that really interesting because, you know, there were certain artists I remember listening to, like, like Mumford & Sons. You listen to that first album and it was so good, but then you're like, well, what are they going to do the next album with those instruments? But you guys, yeah. that doesn't really seem to be any sort of impediment to you guys. Well, I think it, it's just a matter of it's of inspiration. I mean, that's I'm the writer, and, and I'm, I'm the one that really put the records together. So for me, it's what where is the inspiration coming? You know, it's it's right because the the biggest curse that could happen to you is your first record is a giant hit. And then what's next? Like people are going to want the same thing from you immediately after and and better. You know, that's it's it's just human nature. And I just wasn't going to play that game. Like I, I didn't start playing music so that I could have hit records or I could be famous or I could do anything like that. I made records because I like to write music and I love to listen to music. And when I play this kind of music, I feel like I get the best reaction from people. So I feel like this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to play this kind of music. So I'm going to find what inspires me. And then just I'll be the conduit to whoever enjoys this kind of music. That's where it goes. And that's what, that's what the inspiration for each of the records. And I'm just not afraid to, to make a record that I feel like I want to hear. You know, that's, I make records that I want to hear, especially our last, say our last five records, I would say. Those are records that I would want to hear if I were a fan of Big Red Bitter Daddy or a fan of this music, you know? Absolutely. And you've actually helped me kind of segue into my next question. Uh, uh -huh. Being the writer for the band, is it kind of tricky writing songs to fit that style of music? I know because some of it, we'll, we'll just say for an argument's sake, for use the word throwback. I know it's not really a great choice of a word. Right. Where, you know, you're writing songs for a, a 1940s, 1950s style song. Where right. you can't really talk about you know, coronavirus or you know politically correctness and or, or what have you, uh, is that hard? And especially because you were in a, a a punk band where you were kind of probably rebelling as to what was going on at that time. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, it was it would probably be really hard if I wasn't trying to be as 100% honest as I humanly could be. So when I'm writing these songs, there's like a radio in my head and I basically listen to what's playing in my head and then I just try to decipher it. And and usually, honestly, usually the first verse and the chorus will usually come out on its own. It, it just I just pick up an instrument and I start playing and these songs start happening and what comes out is what comes out. Like I'm not I'm not trying to, 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 to write in a certain vein or anything like that. And then once I get these things, I'll just on my phone or on a recorder, I'll just record whatever it is, is say like a demo or an idea. You know, I've got thousands and thousands of ideas. And then I'll just go back and I'll listen. And when one sparks my imagination, I'll be like, oh, okay, I get that. And I'll, I'll then work on that. And then I have enough resource because I listen to this music enough. I know what it is. And I think maybe an example of that would be, obviously, we're, we're in a pandemic where we're, we're quarantined for the most part. I was going through my drawer, one of my, my big cabinet drawers where I threw all my lyrics for the last 20 years. Like if I was on an airplane, I would grab a barf bag and write down with it something that just came up to me and I would write it. And then when I get home, I'd just throw it in this cabinet. Well, I was going through the cabinet and looking through it. And I found a song, lyrics, and it just kind of jumped off because I've got millions. And I just looked. And it just kind of jumped off the page. And I don't know when I wrote this. It was probably maybe 16 years ago, 14 years ago, 12 years ago. And I'm looking at it and I read the lyrics and the pandemeter of the, of the lyrics and the way that it is. I knew immediately what the song was. Like I just knew exactly where my head was at that moment. And I sat down on my guitar. I made a framework of the song and, and it immediately, because I just knew by just by the pandemic, just by the cadence of the way the lyrics were rolling, I knew that that song was more in a Rat Pack sort of Sinatra-y kind of big bandy kind of a song. And, and so I was able to co go back right exactly where I was when I wrote those, come up with what it needed to be. And then I just, again, made another small little demo and just filed it away for things to, to look at if I need a song like that or, or if that song, you know, starts whispering in my ear in a few days going, come back to me and finish me. I will. That's kind of how I do it. And if you were on a bar bag, I'm sure you're glad you didn't get sick on that flight because, well, <laughs> there are those lyrics. This Beautiful Life, that entire record, we were so busy because of Americana Lux. Uh, this Beautiful Life, I would say like 90% of the, so of the songs on that record were written on the back of a bar bag. <laughs> I like that. It's a nice little piece of trivia. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit about playing Super Bowl 33 in 1999? I know you, you played with... With Stevie Wonder, you backed him up. We did, yeah. Stevie Wonder, um, we we played, uh, we opened the show, and we did Go Daddy O. And then uh, when we finished Go Daddy O, we started up to do Sir Duke, and that was with the great Stevie Wonder. And yeah, I mean, uh, as far as you know, when I was I don't know twelve years old, and I was standing in front of the mirror with a fake microphone, listening to Physical Graffiti cranked on twelve pretending that I was Robert Plant. When I dreamed of being a rock star and, and being on the biggest stage on planet Earth, I'm pretty sure that's what I was thinking, the Super Bowl, you know? And so at one moment in this time on in my lifetime, I was at the Super Bowl playing in front of millions and millions and millions of people. That's probably the biggest crowd that you've ever played in front of, would you say? I mean, it was, I, what is it? What does the Super Bowl roll in? Like, 2.5 billion people or something like that. I don't even know. I mean, because yeah. it's worldwide. I don't even know what the number was. But, you know, for 90 seconds, I was uh, I was a very popular guy on planet Earth. We can't get through this interview without talking about some of the songs. Do you have any personal favorite songs in your catalog? It's hard to, it's hard. You know, I like, I like records more than I like um, 
particular songs, but I think maybe some of the ones I've just written a song just recently, of course, I'll say the latest song I've written, but I've written a lot of songs, but during the pandemic, but um, I've written a song recently that I can't wait to get done. Uh, it's called Oh No. And it, you were saying, you know, you can't really write about the pandemic or whatever, but I 100% wrote about the pandemic. This song is, is uh, it's out of control. I, I'm, I'm really, really, really happy with it. And uh, it's funny because I wrote this thing. It came to me, it came to me in April because it was the first time I had been secluded in so long. This is the longest break I've had in my entire adult life. I've never had anything remotely like this. I was writing and I was very, you know, really sequestered. And during, you know, that time, especially not knowing how to deal with coming off the road after 27 years, it was really pretty crazy. And I wrote this song in the form of a black and white hose arm animation video where I saw the whole thing in my head. I knew exactly what I wanted it to be. And then I wrote these lyrics. And it's funny because if you were to take the lyrics out of context, uh, it's the darkest lyrics I've ever written. It's so dark. It's, uh, it's really, really funny. However, the way I was able to write it and present it is really super tongue in cheek and really funny. And in, and when I could get the right animator to animate this thing, because that's how I want to present it. I want to present it as a black and white pose arm animation. It's pre it, it comes across really funny and lighthearted. But if you listen to the lyrics, you know, it's anything but that. Uh, there's another song called um, some, something that you could actually listen to. Uh, it only took a kiss, I think, is probably the the best crafted song that I've probably written. It's the one that I I listen back and say, you know, I didn't I didn't really blow that one too bad. Because I'm my own worst critic, so uh, I would say you know that's probably a good one. And then you can't really argue with um, with some of the early stuff that just was stream of conscious stuff. You know, I, I think Mr. Pinstripe Stew is probably that's probably the best song I've ever written. Maybe I'd say because it's the one that I still play every single night, and the crowd still reacts the same way since you know the beginning.
Hey, Mr. Pinstripe Sue Hey, Mr. Hidey Hidey Ho Well, I know you got the answers We all wanna know also part of the band's appeal that you make it fun you know people know that if they go to your concert they're gonna have a good time they're gonna be dancing they're gonna be singing along or or whatever just at the very least just tapping their toe and just snapping their fingers and yeah i i agree that's 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 my goal my goal is definitely not to i'm not trying to challenge you as a human i'm definitely trying to take you whatever you've dealt with or whatever you've had a hard time with i i want to say that that big bad daddy you come to us and, and I will do my very best for 90 minutes to put you in a better place than you started. I like that. We have this section of the show and I, I've given you fair warning and, <laughs> and you haven't run out of the room screaming. So this is a good sign, Scotty. Yes. It's called the TRQ, the Totally Random Questions. Totally, totally, totally random questions. Totally, totally, totally random questions. Okay. And we will call this the Big Bad Voodoo Daddy edition, and you will speak on okay. behalf of yourself and the band. First question, how many fedoras do you own? Currently, I probably have under 100, but, but definitely over 80, so somewhere in that category. You've got a good hat head. I, I can't pull off a hat. <laughs> Thank you. You managed to do it, man. Yeah, and what is it? The Why Me video, I think you, you're modeling about six or seven of them <laughs> At least that was totally ad lib too. We we just made that up right on the spot. That was just when uh, that's just the humor of those guys, man. We we just had such a good time making that video. Now if you see my baby, my baby is oh so fine. She's long and lean and never mean. She tastes like cherry wine, and she's my baby. And she's my baby She drives me crazy 
gonna really miss her all the time All the time Now I said Why, 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 why Why me? Why, why, why me? Why me? Why, 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 why Why'd she have to run away from me? It's a mystery why I love her more today than I loved her yesterday than I thought that she'd come back to me I did a, a series called uh, Music Mondays, and Music Mondays we did it on Facebook, uh, Instagram, and it's also on uh, YouTube. And I do a behind the scenes on Why Me, and I show a whole other video completely of all the behind the scenes stuff on that. And if you haven't seen that and you like that video, it's a it's a pretty funny one, and I get some insight on that one. A sense of humor is definitely present in what your band does because, especially <laughs> with a, with a song like. Uh, don't you feel my leg? And the yeah. way you're starting off your lyrics, you're just like, well, I accidentally just sort of brushed my hand against her. And just kind of like distancing yourself from the whole situation. And it's like a very fun Absolutely. way to, to lead into like a, a very playful song. Right, yeah. Especially sung from the eyes of the lady. Did the political correct police come after you for that? Or you were, you've been good? It, if they did... I, I, I care not <laughs> because no, there's no malicious intent ever coming from me ever. Right. Like I don't, I don't think I have a malicious bone in my body. So if somebody comes at me for whatever reason, I personally believe they're, they're just, they're just reflecting is all. It's just a projection on their own side. It's not, it's nothing. It's not coming from me. something that's been bugging me that I need to get off of my chest. I was down at my favorite watering hole the other night with my foot firmly placed upon the gas pedal when this lovely, lovely lady walks in, sits next to me and orders a drink. Now we start having conversation and by accident, of course, my hand slips and falls upon her leg. Well, she stiffens up, looks me straight in the eye and says, get your filthy hands off of me. 
And then to cut me even deeper, she sings me this little song. Don't you feel my leg? Don't you feel my leg? When you feel my leg, you wanna feel my thigh. If you feel my thigh, Like a gentleman, treat me fine Though I know that's just something At the back of your mind If you keep drinking Or you're gonna get fresh And you wind up begging for this fine, fine flesh Don't you feel my leg Don't you touch my leg when you feel my leg
let me go back to the uh, totally random questions here. Bring well, it. What from the 40s and the 50s do you wish that we had today? Like, I, I mean, apart from like mortgages and <laughs> what about that style is most appealing? Well, I was just going to say that I, I would just say the sense of style, the sense of style and the sense of pride in quality of product. It was people who were making suits were making beautiful suits. They weren't making how cheaply can I make this suit and how much can my overhead be reduced so that my CEO can make way more money than anyone could ever spend in 10 lifetimes. So I would say that quality of, of, of product, quality of life, and the value of having one thing that you really love. Like back in those days, guys had one hat. It was a great hat made by some guy, some great little Italian guy in, you know, New York somewhere. And he custom made that hat for this guy. And it, you know, it, then it becomes the one hat he wears with every suit, whether it's a gray hat and he's wearing a brown suit does not matter. He's got that one great hat and it, boy, it looks good. So I, I, I like that part of, of, of that. If I'm going to go down that road, let me ask you this. I know you've done you know, your tribute albums. You've done the one Cab Calloway, How Big Can You Get? And uh-huh. uh, Louis, Louis, Louis with Louis Armstrong, Louis Prima, and Louis, Louis Jordan. Jordan. Would you ever do a punk rock swing album? Like punk no. rock, a swing version? Never? No, I'm not looking to do anything novel. No, definitely not. For me, the novelest things that I do are, are taking songs from my childhood and, mm-hmm. and bringing, bringing them to life just because. I loved those songs. Those songs spoke to me like Heat Miser and the Jungle Book song yeah. and uh, and the Grinch, like things like that. Um, but other than that, I, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't, I just don't think that punk rock music uh, lends itself to swing. I've heard bands do it. And, and to me, it, it just, it sounds, it's too gimmicky for me. I, I think maybe I take myself a little more serious than that, probably. Speaking of your Christmas songs, yeah, you probably have some of the best takes on Christmas songs. I mean, if you guys have never Thank heard uh, their version of Heat Miser, I think that's like the quintessential version, <laughs> almost better than the, <laughs> the TV version. And, and somebody, did- somebody, actually, somebody actually did a, uh, a mock-up to that. Somebody, if you go to YouTube and do a Big Bad Buddha Heat Miser, you'll see somebody took the original footage and put our version to it. And it's really funny. It's one of my favorite videos out there. I got to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny. That's good. I give you, what do you give a Wookiee for Christmas when he already has a comb and you give me a heat miser? <laughs> Heck yeah. What would the band's name be if Albert Collins never signed the back of your poster? Something worse than Big Bad Bitter Daddy, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough answer, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so now I know you mentioned uh, It Only Took a Kiss and Megan Smith was your duet partner on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, is there anyone that you would have loved to have done a duet with, living or deceased? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's, you know, it's really funny about that is I, Megan Smith is, she made this record called The Cricket Orchestra, I believe it is. She took all these songs from a Mellotron, all these loops from a Mellotron, and, and she's a pop artist, but she took all these jazz loops on a Mellotron and she, she turned them into these, this just little jazzy EP. And it is so pure and so beautiful and it's so well done. I, it's, I just love that record. But the original idea for me when I wrote It Only Took a Kiss is I wanted to do a duet with Zoe Deschanel. That's who I heard. That's who I heard in my head when I wrote that song. And Zoe declined. 
she was had just released a record and was going to have a child at the time and and just and just passed on the project and i thought you know what a bad second choice and i was so thankful that that megan did that because she's so pure and so beautiful on that track i, I love her voice and i hope that big baby daddy fans sought her out because she really is she's an amazing canadian artist and uh, not as well known in, in america but she's she's a great great artist she's a very very sweet human a kiss to know this baby I'm in love with you one look is all it took to say I do and baby when you smile I'd walk a mile oh just to be with you for a chance at that glance that says me too so when it comes to those other guys This may come as no surprise I don't get jealous, I don't worry Cause I love you It only took a kiss, but what a kiss And baby I love you What a look, oh your look that says I do And baby, I agree I'd rather be Nowhere else but here, my dear There's no place No place I feel so safe, so safe. here with you Here with you It's like finding a penny, penny And picking, picking it up And all day You'll have good luck it only took a smile, it only took a kiss Start. It only took a look, 
It only took a smile, it only took a kiss It only took a look, it only took a smile, it only took a kiss It only took a look, it only took a smile, it only took a kiss My last question for you, what's next for Big Bad Voodoo, Daddy? I know you said you're going to start up touring again, and you're going to play uh, some festivals. Well, I mean, we're doing what we're doing right now. Like right now, it is is the time of drive-ins and pop-ups and things like that. The number one priority is for us is to stay uh, healthy and safe and keep everybody around us healthy and safe because this thing isn't over with. It's The numbers are awful. We're not going to try and push it because none of us are, we're all in our 50s for the most part. And so, you know, it's, it's a dangerous proposition to go on tour and shake hands and be around, you know, just that whole lifestyle. So first and foremost is hopefully our country and our, no, hopefully our world gets back in order so that we can do this again. And then while, while we're down, I'm not sitting on my thumbs. I've written a ton of music and I'm going to fix all the things about Big Bad Voodoo Daddy that I want to fix. Like all the things that are very hard to fix when you're touring all the time and you're playing, you know, 125 shows a year. It's hard. It's hard to, to constantly work. And especially, you know, the longer you do something. So I think that when we do come back to, to playing in theaters again and, and coming and doing our thing, I'm hoping that it will be the best Big Bad Voodoo Daddy that you've ever seen ever. No matter what era you've seen us in, in our career, um, I'm hoping to be the best 100% possible. Do you see yourself maybe taking on other genres within the band like, uh, like early 50s rock and roll or like yeah Western it's funny you say that because you hit it on the head big time i don't think i would do big bad i have a friend who is a uh ed educator and he's a he's a music appreciation educator and he's a genius and, and his main thing is is early country country music and he's making a compilation for me right now he's helping me work it up and i don't know if i would do if i would subject the guy to daddy to the country swing thing because i don't know how much those guys would be receptive to it but i may make a few songs and just do it on my own and and just take my spin on it and do it potentially just to scotty morris because i don't know if i'd want to subject like i said those guys to do something that they may not want to do and then the other one was 50s rock 100 uh, percent. i have already written a song that's kind of a morph of big bedroom daddy and little richard it, it really it's a barn burner i can't wait to play that song it's it's really fun i've had it for a while and I've also written a doo-wop song that probably whatever, however we make records or release music in the future, those songs are going to get out there somewhere. So yeah, I definitely, I've, I've got stuff from the fifties for sure. And uh, I must like looking for things, you know, just that things that motivate me. For the people that never heard your band and why not? <laughs> you want to uh, yeah. tell everybody how they can uh, follow you on social media and on the interwebs? Yeah, I mean, Big Bad Buddha Daddy, it's, you just Google Big Bad Buddha Daddy and find all of the uh, things. If you're a Facebook person, you know, it's Facebook. Just go to Facebook, Big Bad Buddha Daddy, it's official. It's certified. And Instagram, I believe it's Big Bad Buddha Daddy official. And then our YouTube page is, is Big Bad Buddha Daddy. And a good place, if you're just learning about Big Bad Buddha Daddy, a good place to go is Music Mondays. Just hashtag Music Mondays on Instagram or any of the above. And check it out. Music Mondays is also on our Facebook. We did a month of live performances and we did a month of behind the scenes of our videos so you get a kind of a look at things and the, the songs that we did on the music monday was fun because we did songs that weren't popular songs we did songs that, that weren't played live ever really we just did songs i thought that would be interesting to people 
who like what we do and, and a, a good look at some of the songs, fun songs that we've done and songs that I get asked about all the time. Before I let you go, I uh, just want to say thank you to you and your band for making Absolutely. all this incredible music. And we'll definitely be looking forward to the stuff you got coming out. Daddy Morris, lead singer, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. It has been a pleasure, sir. Thank you. My pleasure. Let's get back to the Sherpa. Sorry about that. No. Just one little note, Rebels. The music that you heard came from the Sherpa's own music collection, of course. And if you want to learn more about the band, if you've never heard them before, they do have a website, bbvd.com. And you can check out their social links where they definitely have a lot of fun. Those guys are really cool. And I wish them all the best when they start coming around again. I definitely have to see these guys in concert. I'm, I'm definitely fired up about that. And I hope that day will come very soon. If you want to follow the show on social media, Sherpolution, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. That's all I got to say. Just go there and you'll see what's going on with the show with some interviews that I've had and what interviews are coming up. And if you'd like to post something, you know, make a nice little comment or a goofy picture or something like that, you are more than welcome to do that. And Sherpolution is also a good word to know. If you want to check out my website, Sherpolution.com, you can hear all the episodes, read all the Sherpa sheets. You can click on the link to the Sherpa shop where you can do some online shopping and actually help raise money for charity. And we also have the monthly calendar so you can see what guests are going to be on the show that month. And we also have a little page for Spotify playlists. And with the holidays coming up, believe it or not, there is a Spotify playlist of about 100 Christmas songs if you are in the mood to hear some holiday music. And if you're not, there's one for classic rock. And by the way, this podcast is now available on Amazon Music. So if you want a really easy way to listen to the show, just say, Alexa, play Too Many Podcasts on Amazon Music. Just like if you want to get more into Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, you could say, Alexa, play Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Either way, something magical will happen and you will be happy for the rest of the day, maybe even the rest of your life. I'm betting on it. <laughs> okay, so I guess I will see you guys on Friday when we have another episode coming on. Hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher.com. You know what? Instead of having Mr. Bruce walk you to the door today, why don't we have the band do a song that you can sing along with as you're walking out the door? We'll see you on Friday. Viva la Sharp Pollution, everybody.
for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce and this has been a Sherpa Loose Studios production. Viva la Sherpa Lution!